Hi, welcome to The Heavy with Andrew and Don, where we cover a large range of rock and metal topics for the casual listener. I am your host, Don Sutherland. With me, as always, is my brother, Andrew Sutherland. What's up, dirtbags? So remember, you can uh, email us at theheavypod at gmail.com or send us a DM on whatever platform uh, if you want to talk to us or you got any comments. Andrew, what are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about a guy named Peter Steele and a band called Typo Negative. All right, let's get into it. Uh, I've only like vaguely heard of Typo Negative. Don't know much about them. I mean, you're just too young to really have been around for any of their heyday at all. Yeah, they're they're pretty big back in the mid to late '90s. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'll do like a little bit of a rundown here. We'll, we'll kind of focus more on Peter Steele than the rest of the band because he was the main guy, I guess, like probably the most distinctive part of that band. Okay. His voice, and he did most of the songwriting and stuff. Cool. Uh, so uh, I, I would say pretty uh, confidently that Typo Negative would be my favorite goth metal band, which would be okay. where they'd be classified as goth metal. Uh, so yeah, we'll just go a little bit into their history. So in the beginning, singer and bassist Peter Steele, his birth name is actually Petrus Radicic. So very Eastern European. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, seriously. Steele, I guess Steele's a real name for some people. Yeah, he definitely changed his, his name. <laughs> uh, he formed a band called Fallout in 1979 with P- uh, future typo negative keyboardist Josh Silver oh. and uh, a guitarist named John Campos and a drummer named Louis Beato, I guess it's called, or Beato. Okay. Uh, so the band Fallout, you probably never heard of them. Uh, Fallout released one no. single called uh, Rock Hard in 1981 before they split up. The single actually, you can find it on YouTube, but it's it's really keyboard uh, heavy. Spotify? It's not a Spotify. No, no it's okay. a, it's pretty keyboard right. heavy. It's fairly mediocre. It's not terrible, but it's not it's like nothing okay. great. Uh, yeah. The B side of the single is called a song called Batteries Not Included, which is actually a, a better song in my opinion. Uh, Peter Steele's voice is a bit more distinctive, although there's a long way to go before he would really stand out vocally as he did with Typo Negative. And there's some decently heavy guitar in, in the song, that Battery's Not Included song. But Fallout's pretty forgettable. It's just uh, kind of a st- st- starting point for uh, Peter Steele's music career. Okay, yeah. So after Fallout split up, uh, Peter and the, the Louis guy would go on to form a band called Carnivore in 1982. Haven't and, heard of uh, them either. Yeah, they're a fairly like a not very well-known thrash band from Brooklyn. Okay. But for their second album called Retaliation, they shifted to a crossover between thrash and hardcore punk. And uh, the band later broke up in 1987. Uh, Steele's lyrics in Carnivore tended to be pretty openly and intentionally offensive. So some of the song titles would be, I'm not going to read all the lyrics out, but if people want to look them up, they'll uh, know exactly what I'm talking about. But some of the song titles were Male Supremacy, uh, a song called SMD, which stood for Suck My Dick. (laughs) And... uh, Another song called Jesus Hitler. So that one just sounds a, interesting. Just a sample, <laughs> little sample. My, of, my, my curiosity's peaked with Jesus Hitler, though. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, he did. I didn't have it written down here, but he had another song called "Angry Neurotic Catholics," <laughs> and uh, he he was actually raised Catholic, so I guess he's got some some inside information it's, there. It's interesting, though. <laughs> he's like jumping around on a lot of different topics. Yeah, like a lot of it is is like satirical. Like he doesn't take a lot of the stuff. He didn't take a lot of the stuff like that seriously, okay. but I mean, obviously, he felt strongly about some, you know, some topics, or whatever. But yeah. like I said, a lot of it, 
a lot of it's meant to be like humorous in a way, right? Even though obviously offensive. Okay, yeah. I don't yeah, know if it's a, super funny, but like I guess it makes more sense. But yeah, so they're pretty offensive, and that might be one of the reasons that Carnivore never got very big. But also, they changed their style just within those two albums as well. Yeah. Uh, and I actually personally, I preferred the first album better, uh, just for the, the style of it. Uh, although, like, I'm more of a a thrash fan than I am a hardcore punk fan. Right. Although I do like. So Steele started forming the band that would become Typo Negative when his friend Sal Abriscato stopped by his house to see how he was doing after Carnivore broke up. And according to Abriscato, Steele had at that point cut off all his hair and he had just taken the New York City Police Department test and was ready to quit music altogether. And become a cop? Yeah, he was going to become a cop. Huh. But uh, Abriscato convinced Steele to jam with him. And then by the summer of 1989, they had enlisted guitarist Kenny Hickey and then keyboardist Josh Silver, who had, like I mentioned before, played with Steel previously in Fallout. Right. So originally the band called themselves Repulsion, but according to Peter, there was already a band from England called Repulsion, but I was reading about it, and I think it looks like Repulsion was an American band, but there was another band called Repulsion. They were right. uh, like a punk band or something. So they had to change their name. So they went with the name Sub-Zero, but then there ended up being a band from Queens called Sub-Zero already. <laughs> so I, I think we... Went through this before with another band previously. <laughs> it's already podcast. had their own name, yeah. Yeah, so, so it happens a surprising amount because I know like Blink One Eighty Two was originally just Blink, but there was like another band with that name, so they added the number just to just to differentiate it. Yeah, that's not, didn't that happened with like Bush. I think we talked about that before. Where like in Canada, there was already a band called Bush, so they had to call themselves Bush X in Canada. Oh, was it? <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Like oh, yeah. it happens surprising amount. I'm sure it's happened quite a few times. Uh, so when they called themselves Sub-Zero, the band had already gotten tattoos with like a zero and a negative symbol. So they so they couldn't use the band name, but they already got these tattoos. So <laughs> after after hearing a Red Cross ad asking for typo negative blood, Steel had found their new band name. And then it right. uh, matched with the tattoos. It was perfect. <laughs> so It works out. Yeah. So Steel was already under contract with Roadrunner Records from the Carnivore days. Like He was personally under contract. And right. after hearing a demo of the new band, uh, an A and R guy at Roadrunner named Monty Connor, uh, he convinced the label to keep them on because he liked this, liked their stuff. Okay. So at this point, they were still called Repulsion, I believe. But right. So the band's first album was Typo Negative. Uh, it was called Slow, Deep, and Hard. So although they, uh, okay. yeah, yeah, whatever connotation. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> but he's a real intelligent guy. <laughs> hey man. It, I said just they like to offend. <laughs> okay. Although they released some of their material as a cassette demo called None More Negative before they changed their name. Okay. But, uh, most of those songs uh, ended up on the first actual official Typo Negative album. Okay. Though Peter said that he wrote all those demo songs when he was drunk and pissed off one night in like four hours. Huh. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. That is uh, impressive. It reminds me of uh, this is like Dave Grohl stuff coming up with... Um with uh, Taylor Hawkins, Hawkins' death, and I, I found out that he wrote Everlong in 45 minutes in, like, the middle of the night. It's, like, one of my favorite Foo Fighters songs. Yeah, and he just, like, he cranked it out in the middle of the night. That sounds that sounds bad. He, uh, <laughs> he wrote <laughs> it really weird. fast. <laughs> just, like, 45 minutes, under an hour, with their, what is definitely their biggest hit. Like I said, it's probably, it's, it, it might be might be my favorite song of theirs, actually. It's totally fair. It's a great song. Yeah. It's, it's a really good song, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the cover of Slow, Deep and Hard, uh, I might have looked into it back in the day. I can't remember, but I looked into it 
now and I found out that they had taken a, a very, very graphic image from a porno mag and then resized and photocopied it to get it all grainy. So when you look at it at first, you'll have no idea what it is, but then... Yeah, it looks like an alien. I, I'm not going to describe it to you anymore. You'll have to read it, read about it, but... All right. <laughs> so, like the carnivore days, uh, the lyrics on Slow, Deep, and Hard are intentionally offensive, and this is in someone else's words, uh, full of politically incorrect sarcasm, but the musical style was shifting away from the thrash hardcore of carnivore and into a slower and much longer, more complex song structures. Okay. Uh, Josh Silver, the keyboardist, his parents actually put up the $6,000 for the band to record their debut as well. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, the band caught some flack for some of their songs and lyrics on that album, particularly a song called Der Untermensch, uh, which is off, it's a German word, but it's off the first album, which uh, it had a lot of people calling the band Nazis, uh, even though the title was meant to be satirical, like a lot of it was. And okay. uh, keyboardist Josh Silver is actually Jewish. So they're definitely not Nazis. <laughs> but I think oh, it was just... okay. I had to look it up the the translation because it means the subhuman. So I can get where people would get upset about it, but I guess yeah, it, kind of it was no a, context. It was a term that the Nazis use, but they they don't share any Nazi views. Like that's not what it was meant to yeah, yeah. be interpreted gotcha. as. But uh, a lot of, a lot of the themes in in that album, uh, slow, deep, and hard, are about feeling betrayed and angry about relationships and women. It was at the time. You know, they're, they're about that age. You know, they're young guys, a lot of problems with girlfriends right. and women. And stuff and Very angsty. Angry, yeah. Uh, so when they were touring Europe for that, that album, uh, there was a bunch of German shows that got canceled because of, I think predominantly because of that song. And, uh, and Holland completely banned them for fear of riots and violence. <laughs> wow. Banned by a whole country. Yeah. And it wasn't so much about specifically their views. It was more about like the reaction from the people there right and but they were they're worried about the reaction so the first track on that album is called unsuccessfully coping with the natural beauty of infidelity <laughs> and i remember what i it's a very long time i remember well it's like a 12 minute song i think uh, i remember when i bought this album way back and i loved how ridiculously long that song was or the song title was yeah and although the, they pretty much redid it on their second album uh, it was a fake live album called origin of the feces and when they redid the song, they just titled the song, I Know You're Fucking Someone Else. Okay. <laughs> they, just, they, just <laughs> they dumbed it down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that in that album, that uh, Origin of the Feces album, that song was like 15 minutes long. Wow. Yeah, yeah it looks, is already crazy. It actually is a really good song, though, but it's super yeah. long. Uh, and, and this is going from like his carnivore stuff. The songs were like two, three, four minutes max. Like they're short and fast. Mm -hmm. So it was a, a really big difference. From uh, there to here, you know. Mm -hmm. So, like I was saying, that Origin of the Feces album, although technically their second album, it was mostly redone songs from the first album, and it was set in a fake live show with a super hostile audience. Hmm. So you hear the audience just like yelling "You suck" and like booing them and stuff. But artificially. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was just uh, <laughs> choreographed, or whatever. Like right. Yeah. Like it's like Kiss Alive, except Kiss Alive, the audience like like mm -hmm. them. <laughs> yeah yeah but still fake yeah uh so you won't see it on spotify uh on the spotify version but the original cover of origin of the feces was actually a picture of peter's butthole <laughs> ah how artistic yeah. of him yeah you can look it up if you want to at your own peril i guess but... um <laughs> you know what that's uh i gotta take risks in this so yeah <laughs> you keep talking i'll let you know when i find it <laughs> all right sounds good 
So the the uh, third album, Bloody Kisses, it brought the band some substantial commercial success. Uh, the big single is a song called Black Number One. It was played all over MTV, and the album eventually went platinum in the U.S. Okay. So that and the other single off the album, Christian Woman, got the band some radio play, although they had to substantially edit the uh, the song lengths down because on the original versions, the songs are like 11 and 9 minutes, respectively. Mm-hmm. So obviously, they're not going to have like an 11-minute MTV video. For the most yeah. Part, so. yeah, I got gotcha. you. Um, I believe they cut the song down. I think the radio edit for Black Number One is like four and a half minutes or something. So I have a, I have a quick question. Um, yeah. Who took this photo of his butthole? Uh, he's got both hands in the picture. <laughs> and so someone else had to be holding the camera, you know? <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, that's uh, not something that I can answer off the top of my head. <laughs> Come on, man. You got to do the research. <laughs> Actually, like I saw that I saw that cover. I'm like, well, I think I know what that is. And then I read about it. And I'm like, well, I for sure know what that is. And I didn't look into it any further than that. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't want to know more information. Well, it sounds like you do. So uh, I'll put that on you, Don. Or, uh, I don't. I don't, but I do. Maybe one of the one of our listeners can research that for us and, and let us know exactly who took that picture. Yeah, someone take the bullet, please. Yeah. <laughs> so the song Black Number One, and in brackets, it's Little Miss Scarrell. It's part of the title. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was written as a tribute to a goth girl that Peter had dated. And I remember reading that Black Number One was apparently the hair dye that a lot of the goth people would use. It was like a hair dye color. Okay, that makes sense. Like a certain type of black. Yeah. So songs that album, songs uh, like a song called Kill All the White People and We Hate Everyone, they were supposed to kind of quell any notion that the band was racist or discriminatory in any way. <laughs> that makes any sense. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> it does. There was no middle ground for, for Peter's <laughs> no. like all or nothing there. <laughs> the, the band was actually offered a spot in a tour with Nine Inch Nails, who was just coming off the downward spiral, so they were pretty huge at the time. And then uh, right after Nash Nails, they went on a tour with Motley Crue. So a couple of big big name tours that got them some uh, some attention. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And uh, fairly very different musical styles. So that'd be a pretty cool show to go to where you have very different subgenres of heavy music in one show, right? Like Yeah, know. in the same in the same concert. That's interesting. Yeah, like with both those bands, right? They're very different from Nash Nails and very different from Motley Crue, but like on yeah, I'm trying bands. to think if I've been to any concerts where there's been that much disparity between like the opening band and the actual the main yeah. act, but I can't, I can't think of one. I guess I, I guess I have maybe at like a festival, but not for like you know where you see yeah, two, Fest- two festivals are kind of a wash though. Like you just get like anybody. <laughs> yeah, depending on the festival for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, like the one I've been to, it's like I went from like the killers or i went from like mastodon to seeing the killers to like nick nick swartzen i think is his name doing comedy on the other side of the ground oh, yeah, so just all over the place that's the guy from grandma's boy yeah yeah <laughs> so after the success of bloody kisses the band obviously had a much bigger budget after that uh right. so they had a lot more leeway to record the uh the follow-up album called october rust so this would be my first real intro to Typo Negative, this album. This is actually the first album of theirs that I owned because mm-hmm. I was only 11 when Bloody Kisses came out. But by 1996, I was 14. And I was, that, especially that year in particular, I was, I was buying a ton of albums f- of bands for the first time. Right. And uh, that happened to be their album that came out that year, uh, October Rust. So that, that got me into them. And I ended up buying their older stuff like, later on. Cat- catching up on all of it. Yeah. Uh, according to guitarist Kenny Hickey in Joe Wiederhorn's book Louder Than Hell, Peter saw how many women he was getting after Bloody Kisses, 
and the song Black Number One. So he decided to design the band towards getting more chicks. So this is all a quote from Kenny Hickey. So October Rust was intentionally sensual just to get high heels in the door. It was a pimp record. He was with two, three different girls a day. It's a great record, but his goal making it was to fucking wrangle them up. Jesus. <laughs> so like some of the song titles are like, uh, Be My Druidus and My Girlfriend's Girlfriend. <laughs> They're pretty, uh, I mean, at the time, like, so 14 year old me, I didn't really get a grasp on what he was trying to do at the time. Like, I didn't really right. maybe understand it to that extent. Yeah. But, uh, but I, but I love the album and, uh, especially like, to the it was a contrast to all the faster heavier stuff i was more into at the time but i right but this is like a change of pace and i really liked it so october rust just had a really cool vibe to it so peter's vocal style was like perfectly suited to the pace of the record and the style of the music and right. then like the, the unique guitar tones of the whole album essentially and then like the drawn out emotion of all the songs it just really stuck with me at the time okay so you'll get to hear a bit of it i guess when we get to the workout playlist there but yeah, I'm trying not to check it out while you're talking because I wanna I, I wanna leave it for later. So yeah, I don't I mean, think I've ever listened to any typo negative, not on purpose. Yeah, I mean any song that you would have heard of theirs, even unintentionally, would probably be Black Number One. Like, that would be like right. their biggest hit. Uh, so you may recognize that, but probably nothing else. Okay. The the uh, the backing vocals on that, on that album are credited to something called the Benson Hoist Lesbian Choir. <laughs> Oh. Which is actually it's actually made up. It was in reality it was just the band and like some of their friends here and there. Oh. It was mostly Peter apparently. But uh huh. Peter He sounds I, like a really interesting guy that I I wouldn't wanna have a conversation with, honestly. No, honestly to be really though, if you watch his I watched a bunch of interviews with him and he actually interviews really well. Like he's pretty he seems like a pretty interesting dude. He just got a really different sense of humor. Okay. His like public he, persona is very out there. But like anyone who talks about him, like everybody that was close to him all had good things to say about him. All right. Fair enough. He just had like a, a dark, twisted sense of humor. Yeah. 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 Uh, but one of the bandmates said that he didn't want people to know that he was doing those backing vocals because he didn't want them to know he could sing that high. <laughs> I, I actually looked it up. He has like a four octave vocal range. That's, I think, yeah. good. I'm not actually sure. Four four octave is pretty good. It's not. I think uh, Mike Patton has like a six octave range or something. The guy from Faith No More, like that's ridiculous. Wow. But like uh, four octave is pretty solid. I think Rob Halford is a four octave range. Oh wow. Okay. That that one makes more sense to me. But like Peter Steele's, he can go like super deep, like below baritone. Right. Like really really low. Okay. I I knew that I had looked this up at one point, and I was just confirming it. I knew Eddie Vedder. Had a crazy range, five octaves. Oh wow, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, anything you can four, go so low and like you can get it up there too. Yeah, four, five, and six are really good. Like six is ridiculous. Only a few yeah. singers that have a six, I think, but that, mm. that I, I know about. Yeah. Oh, actually, there's a little thing here. Most singers have a two octave range on average, yeah. so three to five is rare. Yeah, the singers like probably just insane. <laughs> like like Mariah Carey used to have a huge range. Like singers like she that. Not, she not anymore. Well, I, I don't think she can hit the notes like she used to. Ah, uh, gotcha. Uh, so after October Rust, Typo's next album would be an album called World Coming Down in 1999. Uh, and I also bought this album when it was first released. So uh, this this album was much darker than October Rust. And apparently this was due to a lot of personal stuff that Steel was going through at the time. Okay. So the album deals with uh, death, addiction, uh, and mental illness. So songs like Everyone I Love is Dead. <laughs> uh, it's pretty dark. <laughs> Probably deals with death. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, white slavery, which white slavery was about uh, drug addiction, like cocaine addiction. Okay. So uh, Peter had started experimenting with drugs in like 1997. So he was already 35 years old when he first started really doing drugs. And according to Kenny Hickey, Steele had always been into like health shit. Uh, those are his words. Okay. <laughs> and, health, and working out because he used to like, bring weights on tour and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and one day he wanted to try some of the coke that Hickey was doing. And uh, it kind of took him down a dark path. <laughs> By kind of, I mean, like really did. Right. And uh, Steele was admittedly, he, he would be ashamed. Like he would go on kind of a drug bender and he would get really ashamed of it because he'd like think that he should be able to control it and stuff. And right. He really, yeah. Yeah, really got that's the. That's the uh, that's the Catholic in him. He said he was raised Catholic, right? That's that good yeah. old fashioned guilt. Yeah, his his family was like pretty strictly Catholic. Yeah. Like, uh, at one point, Steele ended up in Kings County Hospital in Brooklyn, suffering from drug induced psychosis. So wow, it got pretty bad for a while there. Yeah, I think this is around the same time, but he he ended up in Rikers, like the prison, for assaulting oh. the husband of a former girlfriend because he was all coked up at four in the morning. Oh my god. <laughs> And uh, he he recounted to be white in jail and to have long black hair and fangs is not an advantage. Huh. <laughs> he wore fangs. <laughs> uh, he actually had like implants. I think he had actual fangs. If you watch him in his interviews and stuff, you can see him. Oh my god! Wait, you can't just bite your way out of trouble, Peter? Come on. It actually like and they actually kind of suited him. Like back in the '90s when he was when they were kind of in their heyday and he had like the <clears> long <throat> hair and stuff and and he's he's a really big dude. He's like six foot eight. Oh had, wow! Okay. Yeah, he was like six foot eight, two sixty. And he had, he had fangs. Like he was pretty imposing. That's huge. Pretty looking, yeah. So after that album, shortly after that album in 2000, I believe that, yeah, in 2000, they released a, a best of called the least worst of typo negative. Okay. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty, that, that one's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> I, honestly, you probably get his sense of humor more if you, uh, if you listen to them, it's just cause it's like, the first time you're hearing of them and you're just, it's kind of, it's, it's a just, lot at once. <laughs> yeah. It's all at once kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So the next album was called Life Is Killing Me. It was the next studio album, and it was released okay. in 2003. So this is more of a return to dark satirical humor, and it was sped up musically a bit from the slow doom speed of uh, World Coming Down, and okay. generally generally shorter song lengths than the previous album as well. But like by generally shorter, I mean still like you know six seven minute songs. It's not like we're just talk- not talking like eleven twelve minute songs. Right. Yeah. Stuff, but uh, um, I, I just found something funny when I because I was just trying to see like some comparisons of his height, and yeah. I found a, I found a social distancing diagram where they use him as a reference <laughs> where it says it's recommended that you keep a distance of six feet between you and everyone else. Peter was six eight, so stay about one Peter Steele height unit away from others. <laughs> That's awesome, it's so specific. Yeah, uh, so on that album, Peter Steele height unit. <laughs> That's what's getting me, <laughs> just that, those words together. So off that album, uh, Life is Killing Me, songs like I Don't Want to Be Me and uh, the dark irony of the title track, Life is Killing Me. And then uh, there's an unsettlingly graphic tale of a sex change operation gone wrong, a song called Angry Inch. <laughs> okay. Which, which I found out was actually a cover song. It was originally from a rock musical called Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's actually a, it's actually a pretty rocking song. It's just uh, the lyrics are fairly graphic like take a listen to it and i didn't realize it was a cover song i, I thought it was just them singing something kind of but they didn't change any of the lyrics or anything it was always that crazy yeah i think i mean they, they, i'm sure they made it heavier you know took made it their style but i think lyrically i don't know if they changed it much i know like mm-hmm. they did a lot of cover songs pretty much every album i think every album they came out with 
had a cover song. Mm-hmm. I'd have to check about their first album, but uh, every album after that for sure had a, had a, at least one cover song. And, and one of their um, cover songs was, uh, you know that Hey Joe song by uh, Jimi Hendrix? Hendrix? Yeah, yeah. They yeah, did so, cover that? Uh, well, he covered it, but they changed it to Hey Pete. But it's the same. <laughs> but it's still considered a cover song. Like you just change the lyrics a bit. Same, but, but otherwise, it's the same song. Yeah. Yeah. But they did a lot of cool covers. I'll actually, I don't even think I wrote it in my notes, but I'll, I'll go through the cover songs uh, maybe at the end here because uh, they did some pretty cool ones that I'd like to at least let people be aware of so they can check them out. Right. Okay. So this was actually their only studio album that I didn't buy right when it came out. And I'm not sure why I didn't. I think I maybe just kind of lost track of the band at that point for a bit. But it does have some great tunes on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the last studio album that the band would put out it was called Dead Again, and they put it out in two thousand seven. And I did buy that one when it first came out. Uh, the album cover of that it was a picture of Rasputin. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I was waiting to get to that one because I saw the picture there and I wanted to know the story. <laughs> yeah. So it was the the pictures in green. Like all their album covers were pretty much green, mm-hmm. some shade of green. So when asked in an interview why Rasputin, Peter. This is a, a bit of a quote. So Peter thought the visual would go with the title Dead Again and being Slavic and having quite a bit in common with Rasputin. <laughs> and he lists, he lists, he was an alcoholic, a drug addict, and a womanizer, and he had a big penis. <laughs> Sorry, Peter. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> and he also looks like a vampire, just like you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He actually, there's more to the quote. It says something about him, like looking like a member okay. of a negative. I don't know. I, I, I only I only had read half the quote here, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the the band kind of came full circle musically with this one, and yeah. it kind of it sort of cranks up the heaviness and the speed of many of the songs, uh, closer to like a thrash uh, tempo. Okay. And Peter's vocals are often reminiscent of his you know post carnivore days, where he's more like screaming more than like the the slow goth style. Right. Um, this would be the only album Typo Negative didn't release on Roadrunner Records. So Dead Again was actually released on SPV Records. Is that a smaller label? Uh, I'm not even sure size-wise. Like from what I gathered, Roadrunner wasn't funding. Like they, they weren't really promoting their tour very well. They weren't, oh, okay. like, they weren't putting enough money into promoting their tours or something like that. So they wanted yeah. to move on. Um, okay. So despite the album title and some references to drug addiction in the title track, this album really isn't as dark as the previous couple. So uh, and. Even Peter was quoted at some point saying that it was uh, like it was like lighter, like okay. lighter than their previous albums. Yeah, uh, the song of the album called "Halloween in Heaven" was actually written as a tribute to Dimebag Daryl as well. Oh, because uh, they're he was uh, really good friends. I guess he was a really good friend of the guitarist uh, Kenny Hickey and uh, a pretty good friend of the whole band. So, okay. That's so nice. that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So sadly, this would be the band's last studio album as Peter passed away in 2010. Oh, oh, he's dead. Oh, yeah. I, I don't. I wasn't sure if I should start with that or end with that, but uh. Uh. Well, I feel like I should have been less critical. <laughs> I was talking like he was still yeah, alive. But uh, yeah, he passed away in 2010. Originally, they thought it was heart failure, but it turned out to be uh, he got sepsis from uh, diverticulitis. It's like a problem with your intestines, I think. Interesting. It got, yeah, like it got a freak. Is it a freak thing or is it a drug thing? I, I'm sure it was related somewhat to his lifestyle, the drinking and the drugs and stuff. Mm-hmm. A, a couple different people in the band talked about how they didn't know anybody else who could drink as much, do as many drugs, or eat as much as Peter Steele. Like he was like a beast. Right. 
but he's also a huge dude, so that makes a little bit of sense that way too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so typo negative actually broke up right after he died. They decided they wouldn't go on without him, which I respect a lot because yeah. Well, it really, sounds like he's the heart of the band. Yeah, he was the band. He wrote most of the songs. He uh, he was a singer, and his his voice, like his distinctive voice, was Basically. made it memorable, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like it's it's like Red Hot, like Red Hot Chili Peppers maybe has a few more all stars in it, but it's like you can't really continue without Anthony Kiedis because he has such a distinctive sound. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So a couple little tidbits of information to finish off here with. Uh, Peter actually posed for Playgirl in 1995. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, those pictures did come up when I was looking <laughs> through Google for him. Yeah. Um, Peter was briefly featured in an episode of that prison show, Oz. Remember that show? I don't remember that show, no. I think it was on, like, I can't remember if it was on HBO or Showtime. Or so. It was like a, it was a pretty big show back in the day, like pretty pretty edgy. Yeah. Uh, okay. But he was, he, he had a really small part in it. Like, I, I found the clip and it's basically this one guy walks through a door and Peter Steele, like, grabs him and throws him at these other guys. And that's it. <laughs> Peter was also he was also in a movie called Dirtbags, which is fitting because of our you know show tag. Yeah, but uh, it got a three out of ten on IMDb, so I'm not going to recommend it. <laughs> he wasn't yeah. like he was like a star in it. It looks like he played himself. So I don't oh, know. okay, yeah, I'm not going to hunt that one down. I'll try to I'll try to find a clip from it at some point. I just want to kind of I just want to see like how he fit into the movie. See what it's like. Yeah, uh, he he was also on a bunch of talk shows back in the day. Like he uh, he was on Jerry Springer. He was on Ricky Lake. Uh, he did a bunch of Howard Stern appearances. So that makes sense. Pretty that popular. Like a place for him. <laughs> like I mentioned before, he uh, watching a bunch of interviews with him, he came across very composed and uh, in control and intelligent in interviews, despite okay. a lot of crude crude humor, yeah. even in those interviews, uh, and and kind of a goofy sense of humor. Like his his jokes are a little off sometimes, but he but he's but he was an interesting guy. Like I, I enjoy watching his interviews. Uh-huh. Uh, in a in a Joe Wiederhorn, like Joe Joe Wiederhorn was the author who wrote that Louder Than Hell book. And right. uh, done a bunch of other stuff, but uh, he did a tribute to Steele after he passed away, and he described Steele as being friendly, funny, and he had a reputation for being generous to his longtime bandmates. So okay. that was That's nice. nice. Seems like almost anybody who, who who knew him, you know, fairly closely, had only good things to say about him. Yeah, really. who like actually knew him personally. Yeah, like they, they he's obviously flawed in a lot of ways, but it sounds like deep down he was a he was a good guy. Right. Okay. All right, yeah, so that's about it. Unless you got any uh, any questions. Uh, no, no, I think I'm good. I'm, <laughs> I'm just excited to listen to the band because I, I don't really know what they sound like. Let's uh, set up the workout playlist then. Yeah, let's do it. I ain't got time to bleed. This is the Jawas! Let's put a smile on that face. Okay, I I can't get away with not giving you at least one twelve minute song. Okay. So, unfortunately, I know like you get a small sample size on the workout playlist, so I don't know what part of the song you're gonna listen to. But I'm gonna start off with a song called "Prelude to Agony." Okay. And it's uh it's off their first album, "Slow Deep and Hard" from 1991. Uh, this song's got a bit of everything. Uh, it's got some slow, doomy Sabbath type riffs. Some faster thrash kind of riffs. Uh, some of the parts of the song, Peter's screaming angrily about being, you know, fucked over by a woman, and uh, and then there's some, some of the slower, like deep singing, the, the lower singing that Peter does, slow down. It's almost like chanting. Like it's there's a lot of different parts of the song. There's a lot of stuff going on. Okay. It's uh, it's a pretty cool song. It's probably 
Might be my favorite song on that first album. All right. Uh, Prelude to Agony. I didn't really know what to expect with goth metal but i really enjoyed that like i jumped oh, around yeah. a bit to get to to get some taste of it but it's uh yeah. it's really good <laughs> yeah, yeah I, don't, I, don't, I didn't know what to expect i kind of have a feeling that you'll like them more than you think you will i, I kind of had that feeling like they're they're pretty easy to listen to like they're not they're not overly abrasive musically and like yeah. their lyrics you know after the early stuff he gets more clever and more poetic yeah. you know like kind of evolves but his like voice fits really really well it's got a i don't know if it's just this song it's got a real prog metal vibe to it which is well, he's got well he's like i said he's got that range so he's he's able to like hit higher notes and then drop down to like subhuman freaking right. low notes that nobody else could freaking hit yeah like in this he goes really low yeah but that song's all over the place like if you listen to the whole 12 minutes it's it's like a 12 minute song you can legitimately it's like a rush song where you can actually sit through it and enjoy it it's got the and different parts to it, yeah. It's got so many different parts to it, yeah. It's it's uh, pretty good. Mm-hmm. So for number two, we're gonna do Black Number One, Little Miss oh, Carol. That's uh, their their big hit mm-hmm. off of Bloody Kisses from 1993. So this, this is where Typo really hit their stride. They really started to find their sound, that goth, that goth metal sound that they became right. known for. So Peter's uh, lower singing, the deeper stuff starts the song off, and he, he builds up to a pretty wicked scream right before the guitars pick up the pace. And then that scream, apparently, like I've seen some live videos of it, and he holds that scream for so long. It's pretty oh, awesome. Yeah, hey. wow. uh, and then I love the way he switched from singing the low notes to belting it out like in the chorus. Yeah. What I would probably do, though, if you're going to listen to this, maybe listen to the edited version. So I think it's off their Greatest Hits album. So that least worst of whatever. Yeah. If you find the least worst of album, it should have like a four and a half minute version. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I found it. All right. So, black number one. Or will she trick or treat? I bet she will. Reminds me a lot of Danzig. Yeah, I, I could get that a little bit. I actually, I mean, Danzig's got a pretty cool voice. Like Peter, I like mm. Peter's voice a little bit better personally. He, see, he, like, he gets he gets around a lot more. Like it doesn't uh, stay in one spot, but like there's certain right. notes that hit similarly. Yeah, I think I, I think uh, Peter's voice sounds better live mm-hmm. too. But I, I do like Danzig's voice. He's got a pretty distinctive voice too. Does, does Danzig not really hit the notes as well live? Uh, from some of the performances I've seen, he just doesn't replicate the song mm. as well as I gotcha. uh, Peter does. Yeah, but I, I on this song though, I really like it. Did you hit the the part where he screams at the start? Like yes. Where just, like, yeah, that's that's like gets you all pumped. Eh? Like it, it just sounds like he goes from like an entirely different singer. <laughs> like it just he jumps around yeah. so much. It could be three different guys. When he does that a lot in songs where he he switches his singing style, so like it's it's mm-hmm. that's why that's why you can get away with those long songs, right? Like. 
I mean, I, I got you to listen to the edited version just for for time's sake right now. But I, I mean, anyone listening, I'd recommend listening to the full version. Yeah, obviously, which is eleven minutes long, but <laughs> it's worth it if you have the time. <laughs> yeah, if you have the time. Uh, song number three is a song called "We Hate Everyone." I mentioned it before. Uh, it's okay. also off "Bloody Kisses" from 1983. The song is uh, a lot heavier and faster, more of a thrash style song. I guess at least the start of it. It's like six and a half minutes long or something, so it yeah. changed the tempo a little bit. But uh, I guess technically it's more fitting for a workout playlist because it's a little bit faster and heavier. Uh, I love the energy in the song and the message that it sends out to anyone who called the band Nazis or racists or misogynists because <laughs> uh, they hate everyone. So. <laughs> we'll just go so far the other way. You can't question yeah. us at all. All right. Uh, we hate everyone. It starts out thrashy, but there's a really cool breakdown in the in the middle of it where there's some synth mixed in. Yeah, well, they got the keyboardist, right? They have a full-time keyboardist. Yeah, it's, a lot of the songs have that. I feel like so far, this they they hit a note that I don't think I've heard a lot of like in other bands. Like they sound very unique because like the goth metal style, it's something that I don't think I've ever heard. Yeah, I don't. I don't really. I didn't read in too much to like the the instrumental music style of it. Like. I, all their uh, musicians are pretty good. Like, I mean, I don't see them on lists of like you know top guitarists and top drummers and stuff. But like Kenny Hickey's a wicked guitarist. He plays some great solos. He's got lots of good riffs. And like a lot of the stuff you hear in the background is like Josh Silver and his keyboards. Like he really fills in a lot of the the, the gaps, you know. And yeah, even like, some of the drums, like on the whatever the first song was that we listened to, Pre- Prelude to Agony, something like yeah. that. Um, I, I like wasn't sure at a couple parts were like, oh, the drums are a little, they're a little weak here. They're a little simple, but like it, by this, by this album, it seems like it's mixing right in really well. Yeah. Well, this was still Sal Abrascato, the first drummer. He, he was on the first, these two albums, like okay, well, three yeah. albums, I guess. So he was still playing for them on Bloody Kisses. Right. I honestly, I'm not, I'm not a good enough judge to, to say which one's better or worse. I, okay. I, I wouldn't be the guy to ask for that. But, right. I mean, I'd say they're both like proficient or like <laughs> they both work. Yeah. They're both good enough. Yeah. All right. So let's see. Number four. All right. We're going to get to October rest. Now the song is okay. called love you to death from 1996. Uh, this, this entire album slowed like everything down pretty much from the last album. All so right. this song, like there's, this is kind of a weird thing to say. I was trying to like figure out how I could phrase it, but I'm like, there's something almost calmingly erotic about this song. Because it was such a weird. <laughs> it felt weird writing that, but I'm like, I have to say it like that because it's the only it's thing. The only, really... It's the only way you can describe it. Well, from what you said before, it sounds like that's what he was going for, anyways. Yeah, and like I, I didn't really understand it. Maybe not so much when I was first, like first got it when I was listening to it. I didn't really understand anything about life at that time, right? Like, yeah, about, about romance and women or any of that crap, right? Yeah, I, I sort of get it more now, but I, I still mm-hmm. really enjoyed it. Uh, so th- this whole album is for me is like a guilty pleasure. It's like I love it so much, but it's like I really don't want anyone to hear me listening to it. You know, <laughs> I gotcha. 
because it's pretty light. You know, it's it's not, it's it's almost not even a metal album. There is some fairly dense guitar in it, but it's not fast. It's not really heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely didn't really get what Peter was doing, like I said before at first, but uh, now it's it's one of my favorites. And love love you to death is one of the standout tracks on it. Uh, and there's also a really good video for it, too. Okay. So cool. I think at least Black Number One for sure and Love You to Death both have like music videos that are right. pretty sweet so yeah i'm gonna have to check those out after uh love you to death though they say the beast inside of me is gonna get you trying to like place my finger on what it sounds like like when they break out of the it's just sort of him and the piano singing and then yeah. it comes into the whole band and i want to sound it sounds like the the slower pantera songs kind of just the way the guitar sounds but then there's like the keyboard element to it which is really good in this yeah. it's just like a legitimately good piano track that's actually what i, what I, I kind of while you were listening to it i threw it on as well and just kind of listened to it a bit myself and yeah i i forgot to mention how great the keyboards like the piano fits in really that song yeah. it really leads leads in really nicely uh-huh. and then like when the guitar kicks in it just it's so smooth it's such a smooth transition to the guitar yeah absolutely yeah but you can tell what i mean about how they just slowed everything down right like yeah. yeah just a very different feel i like how they every album is different right like mm-hmm. you know both musically and thematically it's uh keeps things interesting mm-hmm. um so the next song, song number five, it's a song called Wolf Moon, and in brackets, including zoanthropic paranoia, whatever the fuck that is. <laughs> um, okay. Fear of animals off, or something? I, I, I think I looked it up at one point, but I don't remember. So it's off, also off October Rust from 1996. Uh, this is probably my favorite song on that album. And once again, it's slow as shit, but the guitar and the bass are like... <laughs> Like a, I, this is how I wrote it. But the guitar and bass are like a mellow gothic wall of sound, <laughs> and, and oh, Peter's man. Peter's voice and lyrics create some some really, I guess, vivid imagery in the okay. song. So, <laughs> uh, when I looked up zoanthropic, uh, a person believes himself changed into an animal and acts like one. So that's what it means. <laughs> it means uh, you think that you're an animal and you act like an animal. Okay, that makes sense. Well, it's called yeah. wolf. So, all right, yeah. got it. All right, so he thinks he thinks he's a wolf. Uh, all right, Wolf Moon, including zoanthropic paranoia. I uh, usually like over theatrics kind of annoy me, but this one is uh, I it has the right balance I think between like theatrical sound and like the actual music being being good as well like the flow of it. But I feel like this album gets old if you're listening to it like all in a row. If all the songs are like this, I mean this is 
This is their only album that's like this. Okay, okay. So it's like yeah. Once in a while, I get in the mood to just listen to this whole album, and then yeah. like, I do it again for a while, and then but yeah, like sure. sometimes you just get in the in the right state of mind for it. And it's just perfect. It's like so, it's just so mellow. Yeah, so yeah, dark, that makes sense. Mellow, like not dark as in like some of the other stuff where like everyone's dead and <laughs> yeah, like and it's food. just Peter Steele trying to get laid. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But the uh, but yeah, I'm like looking at the song lengths, and it's like if they're all really slow like this, and they're all like over six minutes long, <laughs> multiple are over ten minutes long. Like that's not the same kind of album you put on for a road trip. You're like you'll fall asleep on the highway. Yeah, no, this is more something if you're just like, vegging out at home. Yeah, yeah. You just want something that's just gonna mellow you out, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, we're gonna move on to number six. All right. A song called "Everyone I Love Is Dead." Oh, world right. down. From, uh, so a little change of pace here. Uh, World's Coming Down, 1999. Uh, this is the most depressing song off one of the most depressing albums. <laughs> but, well put. But uh, but when you're in a dark mood, this song is just what the doctor ordered. That's, that's <laughs> right. so, so eloquent. Uh, Peter Peter's in a pretty dark place at this point in his life, and uh, it's pretty obvious that he's lost people or something close to him. Uh, right well-written and structured song though and uh josh silver's keyboards fit in perfect like they do with pretty much all their stuff okay cool all right uh everyone i love is dead I love the way that that song kicks in. That is excellent. Yeah, it's a pretty cool sounding song. Like for how depressing the theme of the song is, it's a pretty like it's a pretty neat song. Like if you listen to the whole yeah. thing, it actually it's very well. Like I said, we're very well structured. It really flows nice. Yeah, no, I'm I'm totally fine with it being depressing. It's it's, it's a good song. Yeah, I mean that that whole album is pretty freaking depressing. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I uh, like when I first bought it, I I loved it. I I still I still love it. Right. I just like, I think doing this podcast, I. There's something about all their albums that like I like all their albums for different reasons, I guess. Yeah, there's a, there's something about them all, yeah. Yeah. Song 7, it's a song sure. called I Don't Want to Be Me. So it's off Life is Killing Me from 2003. Uh this is one of my favorite songs of theirs. It's got a faster almost punk pace. Okay. Uh, it's got a it's got a good riff. It's got a catchy chorus. It's uh darkly funny. I mean, I don't want to be me. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, Peter never seemed to be completely comfortable with the spotlight and fame, so it's kind of fitting. Right. So uh, this, yeah, this one, this one kicks it up a little bit, a little faster. So. Okay. Yeah, cool. Change of pace here. Yeah. Uh, all right. I don't want to be me. They really just got right into like the early 2000s style, like without <laughs> missing a beat. 
it's like this song sounds like 2003 in a good way. I guess it was like fitting for the times. I guess, and I mean, they probably after how slow and doomy uh, World's Coming Down was, they maybe just wanted to change the pace a little bit, you know. Yeah, kicked it up a notch, but like that's it sounds very much for the time period it came out, which uh, yeah. is interesting. Like they, they seem to like not, I don't know if they're necessarily following trends, but their music is evolving in that same direction, but it still like stays yeah. with their same theme. Like it sounds well, like I mean, them. Keep in mind the whole album isn't like that too. It's like that's just okay. One. Yeah, that's fair. There are there are longer, slower songs as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Like they they seem to be able to switch between like slow, dark, doomy stuff to like faster paced, like punky, thrashy stuff. Like they, they're pretty seamless with their yeah. transition one to the other. Like they obviously having a thrash band early on. He's been able to do a bit of everything. But, you know, yeah. everything, but like different styles, right? Yeah, I got you. Mean. All right, we're just going to do eight songs today. Okay, cool. The last song last is the song. title track from Dead Again. Uh, so it's the first track on the album. It starts out a bit slow, uh, but as with much of this album, it actually gets pretty thrashy. And Peter's vocals are much more lively and aggressive than like the slower, doomier stuff that we were talking about. And okay. uh, the song's uh, about, a lot of it's about Peter's struggles with addiction. All right. Uh, Dead Again from the Rasputin album. Mm, yeah, we'll call it the Raspy you now. Okay, reverse comments from the one before. If you told me this was released in like 1986, I would believe you, because it's like it, it all of a sudden gets really punky. But yeah. I, I love it. Well, remember what I was saying? They kind of went full circle. Yeah, with, yeah, with yeah. this album. That's it makes what, sense. What yeah, um, but it's a it's a pretty cool album. I, I don't think I, I I remember buying it when it first came out, and I don't think I appreciated it as much at the time. But like listening right. to it again now, I'm actually getting more into it, and I, I've actually come to respect like all their albums even more. Cause I mean, there was ones obviously October rust was the one that I listened to the most and right. then uh, and bloody kisses. But, uh, I guess and then world will coming down would be like the, th- the third one that I, those, those three were the kind of the ones that I really focused on, but, mm-hmm. uh, I've definitely gained more appreciation for their whole library. Yeah. No, they, they seem to just from like the sample, it seems like there's a huge range there, but like a range, not, where they're like failing at different aspects of it. They have a good grasp of uh, their limitations. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Peter was already a pretty seasoned musician by the time the band even started. Right. Yeah. Uh, for sure. They definitely, you know, perfected their craft through the nineties and stuff. Right. Uh, if we have a few ex- extra minutes here at the end, uh, I just wanted to run through a few of the cover songs they did. Oh yeah, sure. So like earlier on, I was telling you, they did that, that version of Hey Joe, called hey pete yeah um they also did a cover of uh paranoid like black sabbath's paranoid but like oh, cool. so what, what's the original version it's like two and a half minutes it's like really short yeah, it's right? a really short song yeah so typo does a seven an over seven minute version of paranoid hmm. <laughs> so it's like it's still the black sabbath song but they slowed it down like two or three times slower <laughs> but Just it's stretched, pretty cool stretched it out okay it's kind of it's neat how they did it though i, I kind of like it so 
That's on like their early uh, Origin of the Feces album. Right. Their second album there. Uh, whole album. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah. And it's then uh, I remember. On Bloody Kisses, they did another interesting cover. They did uh, Summer Breeze. It's like a Seals and Croft cover. You know Seals mm. and Croft? Is? Uh, no. It's like easy listening crap from like the 70s. Okay. <laughs> but uh, it's, 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 a really, it's actually a really cool cover just because they, they take these songs that are nothing like their style and they make them their style and it's just, it's so neat hearing them reinterpreted with, with their style. It's reminding me, um, like even though I haven't listened to these one, these covers yet, it sounds like kind of what the Chili Peppers did early on. Like they had a whole bunch of Jimi Hendrix covers that just went full funk. Oh yeah, and like then fire. obviously higher fire. ground too. Yeah, fire oh, yeah. and yeah. yeah, they did they did a couple, I think, a couple Jimi Hendrix songs. I'll be like a hundred percent honest. I love the Red Hot Chili Peppers stuff from back then, and I oh, like it's it. Sweet, yeah, like the really it's really really fast. I like it way more than their new stuff, to be honest. Personally, that's just my. Like, I mean, for somebody, I, I know my, you're. I know your cutoff is, uh, by the way, right? That's your, that's kind of your cutoff. Probably right? before that, probably probably uh, Californication. Uh, we will we'll do another episode where we talk about that more because I I'm a huge fan of their older stuff. There's but. yeah, there's a lot there. Um, back to the cover songs. Uh, so on October Rust, they did a cover of uh, Neil uh, Neil Young's Cinnamon Girl, which is a pretty cool oh. cover. But uh, what was the one on? Uh, maybe they. Oh no, they did they did a Beatles medley on uh world coming down <laughs> oh so and oh. that was actually one thing i didn't mention is that they uh the the band's nickname was the drab four it was like a play on the fab four yeah yeah i, I forgot to mention that but yeah they did a beatles medley on world coming down and then on uh life is killing me they did that that angry inch song which was uh, yeah a cover but yeah they did a lot of like, cool covers and what, what, another cover that's very notable is they did a cover of black sabbath's black sabbath the song mm-hmm. black sabbath which yeah. is like, a, it's a really cool version, and it's actually like the song itself is actually suited to their, to their style and like their, for them, their yeah. pace or yeah. I could see the sounds being uh, complimentary, but I will I will throw out a bonus playlist for this after and have all those songs on there so people can check it okay. out. Um, so I guess that's it. Cool, uh, and I guess he died like fifteen years ago, so there's probably 12, not much news 12, there. Twelve years ago. Twelve years ago. 2012. Oh, okay. I was looking at, I was looking at the uh, the last album. I guess that was 15 years ago. Um, so I guess no news on them. I guess for 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 any like just general news. I mean, obviously Taylor Hawkins passing away was huge news. Oh yeah, yeah. So, that sucked. Mentioned that. I'm sure it's you know it's been all over yeah. the radio and tribute. They've canceled their whole tour that was coming up because of it, which yeah. is fair. That um, the. I th- I, th- I think the the rumor is this might be the end of the band, possibly. Like, yeah, he was that important to the band. Basically. Yeah, like it was it's it was him and Dave Grohl. Like, and I guess that you know they got Pat Smear and stuff in there, but those were those two guys were the. Yeah, because I think Dave Dave played the drums on the first album, right? And then Taylor Hawkins, yeah, was the first actual drummer besides Dave. Yeah, right? I was reading about it. Like when he came in, uh, Dave Grohl, the first album he was on, Dave Grohl played like half the song still <laughs> like yeah. he just do it himself and then they had to he almost quit the band because it was hard for dave to give it up <laughs> but then they yeah. ended up getting along really well figured out the dynamic that worked yeah them. eventually as well it's like as a, a guy like dave Grohl, it's probably hard to trust somebody else so my my other bit of news is related to dave Grohl doing everything himself but uh, he actually put out a metal album do you know about that the one for his movie uh, i don't know if it's for a movie it's called dream widow Oh no! Yeah, it's like a straight up metal album. 
like oh sweet okay thrash black metal almost like it's pretty crazy but uh it's, it's actually it's actually pretty good but uh, i just wanted to mention that is also available if anyone wants to check that out sweet okay that's a new one yeah cool i guess with that uh the playlist don't forget it's all on spotify and we are we update it every week so make sure to check it out uh, and that is going to do it for this episode of The Heavy. So see the show notes for the complete list of songs we talked about. Uh, you got a link to that Spotify playlist in there from all, with all the so- songs from the season. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, tell a friend and leave us a rating on iTunes. Our website is www.theheavy.ca. You can email us at theheavypod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook uh, at The Heavy Pod and all those. Our show is edited by Ian Sutherland. Andrew does all the research. Our brother Rob designed our logo. And our theme song is Stallions of the Highway by Savage Blade. I'm your host, Don Sutherland. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you again in two weeks. Later.